you'll be better in a week. You'll be better in a week. And then having an emergency surgery, like every week, it was like um, being kicked while you're down probably 52 times. Uh, wow. And so then, these were emergency surgeries that you were having. Yeah. So I had, I um, almost bled to death twice um, to the point where I was <laughs> bleeding out on the hospital ground after a nurse accidentally uh, cut different arteries. Um, that happened a number of times. Uh, hang, I had, hang on. How do you oh, accidentally cut different, like, an artery? So, so, great question. So, one of the... Today's guest is a current serving infantry captain and the founder of the charity Brothers and Books. After having nine surgeries on his back and using reading to continue his progression in life, he is changing the culture of reading in Australia. Episode 94, Dylan Conway. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in, so bring on the inspiration. Thanks for joining us, Dylan. I'm really, I say us as in me, myself and I, I'm now my plural person, apparently. Um, actually, I don't know if we can say that in these day and age that I'm a plural oh, God, I'm getting into pronoun trouble already. Maybe we should start this again. <laughs> no, this is a great way to start the podcast, I reckon. I understand what you said. I think your listeners will understand what you're saying. And if you're Sigmund Freud, you do need to dis- like describe yourself as us, right? Because you've got the shadow, the self, the ego. So that's do- fine. Depends what know- sector you're talking about. Well, I didn't know um, about the shadow. I knew I knew we had the ego and the id, but I didn't know about the shadow. The shadow's the darkness. One. It's the uh, it's the uh, it's the thing that comes out when um, you think bad thoughts or your subconscious has uh, nightmares and crazy dreams. Oh shit! I got a lot mm. of shadow then. I tell you that. <laughs> but do we? But do we like like Freud? Wasn't he all about wanting to have sex with your mum? Well, so the psychology of dreams, which is one of his most famous books, and and a lot of his other psychology is is what's made the base of modern day psychology mixed with like Carl Jung and stuff like that. You can learn a lot from Sigmund Freud. Um, I'd be asking any psychologist you go to whether or not they've read Sigmund Freud directly because I know it's in all the university textbooks, et cetera, but, you know, why not go straight to the source? Wow. I was not expecting this start to the podcast. <laughs> and, 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 and the, the, the human psyche, as far as sex is concerned, like there is a reason why psychologists often ask about your sex, sex life. It's, it's because uh, it is something that's deeply rooted in animals and can affect us um, greatly. So Sigmund Freud, we like, I think we like. Okay. I don't know enough about him to comment on that, but I will go with you there, Dylan. That's fine. <laughs> So I came across your story because we have a mutual mate, Troy, and um, he took me along to one of the, your events, the Brothers and Books events. Uh, uh, Brothers and Books, we should say, is a charity that you've started up, and we'll talk about sort of the origin, your origin story for that, <laughs> Dylan. But that's how I sort of came uh, came across you, and um, I found your story to be interesting, and, and part of it was that the charity Brothers and Books was born out of you being laid up in hospital for 14 months, which was surprising considering um, you were living living a very active life. You're a current captain serving. You're the only currently serving military personnel I've ever had on. Everyone else oh. is ex. So they can say whatever. You've got to be careful. <laughs> I think I think uh, I can say whatever. There's, there's two people in the Australian Defence Force currently that have um, blanket rights uh, to speak to media organisations, and that's the Chief of Defence Force, 
yeah. and and myself. So oh really? We're, 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 get... we're in luck. Well, so I I put it to the brigade commander. So a one-star general. He brought me in before I did um <clears throat> an ABC interview or something like that. I was on the radio, and he said to me, he's like, Dylan, <clears throat> I need to know before I sign off on this, you're not going to say anything. And I said, sir, like the only person that I'm affecting if I say something negative about the ADF or something obtuse or something that we haven't discussed, the only person that I'm hurting is myself. So like, you know, what's going to happen if I say something stupid? I'm sure you're going to let me know. I'm not going to say something stupid. It'll affect me <laughs> far greater than it'll affect anybody else. So with that reasoning, he signed off on just a blanket clearance because we were doing so much stuff with um, TV and radio and newspapers. He got sick of signing it off individually. He, he, he actually got though. sick. He, the forces commander got sick of signing it off individually and just said, oh, this guy's done it before. He's fine. He's not going to get us into trouble <laughs> or himself into trouble. So you're well, currently yeah. serving. Now you're, you're an officer. Did you go through officer school? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So, um, I, yeah, so I, uh, after school, I, I went to, uh, ADFA, um, where I studied, uh, IT and international politics, um, just as a bachelor's degree. And then I did, um, 12 months training at RMC before becoming an infantry officer at the first battalion Royal Australian regiment. And how long were you serving for before you ended, found yourself, not as I ended up, but found yourself in hospital? Yeah. So, uh, Eight years I, I had been serving without injury oh, uh, in the How long ADF. have you been in now? So I've been in, I think this will be my 11th year. Wow. So what do you, what do you, when you come out of Duntroon, what rank do you get automatically? Yeah, so all the soldiers will call us lids, but the actual rank uh, is lieutenant. So uh, lieutenant's the first junior officer rank, uh, and then captain is the second junior officer rank. And then once you get to major lieutenant colonel, they're sort of the the middle uh, officer ranks before you start hitting the senior senior officer positions. And is the goal you're going to be? Oh, I don't know if you want to say this publicly. Are you going to be a career military? Are you going <clears> to <throat> head up the brass? Uh, we will see how the ADF goes. I think with any profession, you know, it's a day-to-day contract, right? The more you stop and reflect on what you're doing and whether or not you like it, I think the more likely you are to um, change your career. Um, so we'll see how the future goes. Uh, at the moment, I'm probably reassessing my career probably once every two weeks um, just to make sure that I'm on the right track because uh, God forbid we do something for 20 years and decide that we don't like it. This is true. <clears throat> so. At what so eight years in, and then you ended up in hospital. Talk about what that process was. Yeah, so how, how you ended up when I yeah, say process, so what, I got this I got this crazy disease. So um, I got a disease called pilonidal sinus disease, um, more commonly known as Jeep disease. So if you want to Google it, uh, I, I wouldn't recommend it. It's called Jeep disease, and essentially all it is is an ingrown hair or a sinus um, down the bottom of your tailbone. Um, so in a really peculiar position, right at the top of your buttock. Uh, and what happens a lot of the time is if it becomes quite infected, you need to operate. And each time you operate, uh, if it's unsuccessful, there becomes less and less chance of likelihood of success. So what happened was I actually had uh, eight surgeries on my lower back leading to the amputation of the top part of my, my buttocks uh, and a large period of time 
in bed, confined in isolation, not dissimilar to COVID. Uh, however, plugged into the wall with um, multiple different apparatuses uh, to make sure that the healing process was going along um, with different surgeries throughout the process and a whole lot of uh, confusion and unknown. Actually, being plugged into the wall is probably similar to COVID with everybody on uh, the rise of TikTok at the time. <laughs> so talk to me about, explain to me why the surgeries were unsuccessful because usually you'd go in, you'd get get that hair removed or whatever and get out. Yeah, so I can't talk about that because currently there's a lawsuit where I'm trying to sue the ass off these doctors like they took the ass off of me. No, I'm just joking. So the reason that it's unsuccessful is just because... I was like, oh, I haven't heard about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's actually, uh, it, it's it's quite a, I think I've used the word precarious already, but it's quite a precarious location of the body. Uh, and surprisingly, even in the 21st century, wound care is still up for debate. If you talk to different wound care nurses, they'll say... It, the, the wound needs to be dry. Some will say the wound needs to be wet uh, and doctors are the same. So there's just different opinions and the science isn't 100% correct on it. Uh, and then at the surgical level, different surgeons, I think there's about six different operating um, operations that you can actually do for the surgery with different surgeons citing different sources to say that their methods are correct. And that led to a lot of uh, frustration and sadness and confusion from myself, uh, always being told that you'll be better in a week, you'll be better in a week, and then having an emergency surgery like every week. It was like um, being kicked while you're down probably 52 times. Uh, wow, so then, these were emergency surgeries that you were having. Yeah, so I, had, I um, almost bled to death twice. Um, to the point where I was bleeding out on the hospital ground after a nurse accidentally uh, cut different arteries. Um, that happened a number of times. Uh, hang, I had, hang on. How do you oh, accidentally cut different, like, an artery? So, so, great question. So, one of the surgeries, they have to remove the flesh around the skin. Um, correction, the flesh under the skin. So, once a hair get, becomes inflamed or infected, it actually starts to build up under the skin. So, think of a hair follicle going the wrong way. Uh, and what it is, if you zoom in on a hair follicle, it actually looks like a screw. So, as it grows inwards, it burrows inwards and it starts to create a gap under the surface of the skin where there should be flesh. Instead, there is hair. And that becomes a gap underneath your skin. So to remove the hair, you need to remove the flesh around the hair follicle. And that leaves you with a large open cavity. So if you imagine a small football, it, it looked like they had cut a small football size bit of flesh out of my back. Uh, so uh, what that meant with the daily wound dressings and stuff like that is there's probably about probably 40 centimeters squared all up of open flesh just sitting there. And the way that they had to stop the wound from becoming infected, they actually had to stuff it with uh, for, for not using the correct medical terms for this sponge, a uh, bit like a foam to, to put into the wound to, to soak up the blood and the different fluids. And what would happen is overnight, my flesh would grow into that sponge or, or foam. And then the nurses would have to, sorry, uh, trigger warning or graphic content warning. Um, <laughs> the nurses would have to remove that foam and my flesh had grown into it. So I've got my whole 
chest tattooed because I thought I was hard as a young man. It's about 16 hours of tattooing on your sternum and your chest and pretty, pretty painful. But once every three days I had to go into the hospital and take this big bit of foam out of open flesh on my lower back. Uh, and what would happen was I'd, I'd take two or three endone before I'd go in. The nurses would then hand me two of those green whistle devices, uh, the ones where you inhale and then they'd remove the foam. Even with all that pain medication, I'd much rather get my chest tattooed again for 16 hours and have that happen once. And I was doing that twice a week for over a year. Um, so very painful. And so on multiple occasions, I'd remove the foam. It would cut arteries um, in the flesh wound and then it'd start bleeding out. Um, then because so though, though that, it was that close to your arteries. So oh, it was just oh, that your flesh had grown into it and it was that close yeah. to your arteries, the wound. Oh, oh. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. So um, before my last surgery, it was so deep. It was so close to my coccyx that um, once it got infected again earlier this year, they thought that I'd actually be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life when they operated. However, fortunately, I found a surgeon that could do the operation um, without doing that. But yeah, I would say it was about eight, eight centimeters deep. Um, if you think of like the flat tailbone part of your, like just mm -hmm. above your buttock, it was about eight centimeters deep in from that. So, hang on, and let's go back. So you're bleeding out now. We started this in terms of bleeding oh, yeah. out. So you're bleeding out in the hospital. Yeah, yeah. So this is so funny. So um, bless Not her. Really? So 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 bless her. Um, I, I had a lovely nurse. Her name was Anne. Anne was her name. And one day this happened, no fault of her own, uh, I'm sure. Uh, and she'd been in the business for a long time. But the poor thing, just unexpectedly, she, she removed the foam and an artery gets cut uh, and blood starts going everywhere. And this poor lady, uh, I could see it. She says, oh no. And I can see her face and she just is paralyzed with, I, I don't know, fear or just confusion or surprise and shock. And she starts freaking out. No, 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 no. And I look at my back and, you know, it's just bleeding quite profusely all over myself, all over the bed that I'm in, all over the ground. And uh, she, she she didn't know what to do, unfortunately. Well, she knew what to do. She was just so, so shocked by the event. Uh, and sitting over on her left is the usual roll of bandages that we use to, you know, um, fix up the wound. And I was like, and mate, I need you to hand me those bandages. And she's like, okay. And I was like, now I need you to run and get some emergency surgeons in here right now. I'm not going anywhere. You need to go somewhere and sort this out. Wow. And so, and to her credit, so she ran away. I managed to put the bandages into the wound to try and slow the bleeding. I probably did not much. I was high on pain medication uh, and, and I could feel myself losing consciousness, which happened uh, on the other occasion. And uh, I actually got out my phone because, because at this point, I didn't really have much trust in the medical system, as you can imagine. Um, and, and that was just my own bias at the time. They're obviously, it's a lovely, lovely smile smart, competent people in the medical system in Australia. And we're very blessed. Uh, and I actually took out my phone and I messaged my brother and my mother. Uh, and I was like, Hey guys, like there's a lot of blood all over the ground right now. Uh, I'm, I'm in a room by myself and I'm, I'm bleeding out. So, you know, if I die, like love your seats. And then unfortunately um, about five minutes later, I was about to lose consciousness. Two emergency surgeons ran in um, with uh 
uh, utensils and chemicals to cauterize the wound uh, and then block block up all of the uh, all of the bleeding and then uh, rebandage the wound um, without too much hassle. Uh, but that probably set the wound back another two months, uh, which is another two months for me in bed. Were they not wetting the sponge before they removed it? Yeah, so they did a number of things. So they like put um, uh, anti antiseptic um, creams and stuff like that onto the sponge and then put it in. It, it, it's all very, it's all very unique to that specific wound. So unique, in fact, um, ABC actually reached out to me to do a documentary with me. Um, about the wound because uh, the hardest thing for me and one of the reasons that or one of the things that led to me reading so many books while I was down and out was that I couldn't find any information on on this particular topic that was uh, clear and down the line like I said there's a number of different uh, favorite like opinions on the solution to this uh, wound and disease Um, so so ABC reached out and asked if I could um, share some information about everything that I'd gone through. And I think statistically what they say in the medical books about this disease, is like one in a hundred thousand, but simply not the case. I, I, I wouldn't know what the exact numbers are, but it is far more common than what, than what it is believed when the ABC documentary went to air just on their like Facebook and stuff like that. And as a compilation video on TV, it received thousands of comments of people that had been through the same thing. Um, um, there was at least three people, unfortunately, that had family members pass away during their hardship. But a wow. lot of a lot of people in the comments I could see had spent similar lengths of time in bed, live with pain every day, uh, all these really tragic things. Uh, because unfortunately, the medical system's yet to really have a clear, narrow path for it, and the disease is also um, one that requires i guess unique and special attention and uh, contextually you know all bodies are different so first of all shocking that she just didn't call a code and stay in the room with you um (laughs) yeah okay um but why how did you 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 mentioned in that that you ended up your final surgery and then you mentioned that you had another one this year which i wasn't aware of but so you mentioned that you had a um, partial amputation of the top of your buttocks. Is that correct? Yeah. So when you're saying that, is that just the skin or are you talking about the muscle as well? Um, so if you imagine, or oh, everyone can imagine the buttock, but what happened was there was that that large football-shaped wound in my back and to, to level out my buttock so that that wound didn't exist, they shaved off the top half of uh, my my butt so that it's flat with my back. So my back now is extended down. So no muscle removal, um, just the top layers of fat that you'd use to sit down and lean back. So they just did some plastic surgery. Now you've got a cutie booty. Uh, no plastic surgery. There's no Kim, Ka- no Kim, Ka- no Kim Kardashian. You're not going to get Brazilian uh, No, 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 no. So they just, they, they just, so I, I had such a large crater of a wound in my back and yeah. they'd put two skin grafts over it from my leg and it just kept breaking down, kept getting infected, wow. um, which turns out it's not a surgery that's been utilized since like 1970. Um, oh my goodness. But even though I was with the, the head of medicine at a university up north, north throw a dart at at the board to guess which one but um 
Yeah. So, yeah. So that, that kept falling apart. And then eventually this year it kept getting infected, kept getting infected. I saw one surgeon and he was quite sure that due to the depth of the wound and the location and the surgery that he was going to do, um, that, that it was a high risk of, you know, affecting my tailbone and my spine. Uh, but at the same time, I think I had close to like 35 um, staph infections. So I was at risk of a staph infection every day. It was, wasn't very good quality of life. Um, and then, yeah, another surgeon was able to um, uh, grind down my my ass utilizing some sort of like triangle cut procedure um, to, to flatten to flatten my ass and and remove the wound, so to speak, and then stitch it all back together Together. um which which is now just left with a very flat um long elongated back and i um i think it was like 26 stitches i got a huge scar but but the scar is nothing compared to the the open wound that i lived with for like 15 months which is uh pretty pretty hard to live normal life after i got out of bed so now you've you mentioned you've got staph infections does that mean once you have staph in your system you'll always have recurring staph no, so during that 14-month period that I was in bed with an open wound, um, we tried to cut down on the antibiotics that I was on. Um, however, uh, the way that they do it, they've got a, with open wounds, uh, they or in this particular case, they utilize a negative wound therapy suction device. So I carried around with me a pump that would suck out the blood and the mucus and stuff from the open wound um, and required like a a plastic airtight seal around my lower buttocks, which is obviously hard to get, especially in North Queensland. And because of that area, it's got quite a lot of crevices. But um, you think about going to the toilet or just normal things like that, and you've got this huge bandage on your back and a pump and and an open wound. Uh, so I just kept getting infections in the area, uh, yeah, no, throughout man. that fourteen months. Because yeah, you just completely uh, completely open. It, 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 it's it's absolutely crazy. If you think of like um, the best way to describe it would be like uh, if you were to get hit with a cannonball and it wasn't to penetrate you, uh, and it broke the mm. surface of the skin and then just mm-hmm. fell to the ground. You just got mm. that that in your, your on your lower back. Well, it's not going to tickle, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> why you mentioned? I watched the the sh- the video that you had on your website, which was the um, brothersandbooks.com. Um, you mentioned in there that yours you refer to it as a disease, and you refer to it as a recurring. Why is it a disease, and and what's so some people just get it cut out and they never have an issue again. Why is yours a recurring issue and why is it uh, labelled a disease when it's effectively an ingrown hair? Yeah, so uh, pilonidal sinus is different to an ingrown hair because of its ability and its location to actually affect the spine. So i got oh. ingrown hairs on my legs, but if one's on your tailbone, it, it can affect it can affect your spine if untreated um, or un, un sort of like noticed. It also, because of the location, puts a lot of pressure on your lower spine. So when you wake up, I remember the first time I had this, I just woke up one day and I, I couldn't walk because my, my, my lower back was in that much pain. So that's the difference between the ingrown hair 
and the polynodal sinus. What makes it the reoccurring polynodal sinus disease is when you have it again and again and again, which can lead to a lifetime of inactivity and, and being bedridden. Um, there's multiple people that I've ran into um, that, that, that have been completely bedridden by this for, for a number of years. Uh, and, it's, and it's really sad and there's, there's nothing much that they can do about it. And given that you just came back from a run, that's not your case. So they're very happy about that. <laughs> well, that's the problem. I don't know. So I'm doing a lot of work at the, the moment. Uh, uh, I, I was running in between some surgeries, um, you know, but then all of a sudden you're, you're out for another six months. And case in point, oh, I went 15 months without between surgery eight and surgery nine. I thought I was good to go. But then six months ago, they shaved my ass off because I just woke up one day and it was back. So it's a, it's a difficult thing to come to terms with, but um, once you, you know, like everything, once you become accepting of these things and make peace with death, you know, you just keep cracking on. Oh, it's fairly interesting. Make, make peace with death. Hmm. Has it made you re, I mean, obviously you've had two episodes where you've bled out. Has it made you reassess your mortality? And I'm saying this because I'm having this conversation. I'm getting towards 40 and I'm having these conversations more and more with my friends. So, and I have never had a situation where I'm bleeding out in a hospital table, you know. So has it made you reassess your mortality considering your your comment of making friends with death? Yeah, very much so. So very much so. And and for a number of reasons. Firstly, isolation, I think, um, in my own life, and I can only speak to that, uh, but perhaps it's true for others. I think before being stuck in hospitals for such a long period of time, uh, my life was filled of different things that would keep my mind occupied, whether it be um, socializing, work, study, um, uh, fit, physical fitness, uh, all these different things. Uh, and very rarely in my life prior to this, as an, as a young adult, had I spent time assessing my values, my beliefs, and my thoughts on different things internal to me. Um, and what this period of isolation allowed me to do, uh, coupled with being able to read, uh, some of the greatest books ever written and reading hundreds of books in my isolation period, it allowed me to reassess what was important to me in my life when all of the external factors had been taken away. Uh, so not being able to do any of those things that I used to do, being stuck in bed, not being able to socialize or walk or go to work or um, see my friends. Uh, it really made me reflect inwards. And that's something now that I've taken when, once I am able and physically uh, able now, it's something that I still do. And it's changed my uh, ideas on death because I was able to find a literature that um, uh, I, I took from that helped me uh, come to terms with my own mortality and also implant new beliefs coupled with my experiences about uh, what death actually consists of. So what have you taken away from it in regards to different priorities in regards to your life? What have you assessed that aren't important and now are non-negotiables for you? Yeah, great question. So when I was a young uh, budding infantry lieutenant, uh, when I was 25, <laughs> 
uh, I was very set on special forces selection. So I was always training, very physically fit. Uh, I perhaps um, wasn't as honest uh, with myself and with other people as what I am now. I wasn't very vulnerable at all. Um, so I was pretty much your atypical and, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing uh, young Australian male between the age of 18 and 24. I cared about what I looked like. I covered myself with tattoos. I, I very much cared about my professionalism and competence at work and being able to um, gather enough wealth um, so that I could maybe chase females that were out of my league. The usual, usual things that young men do between the pub and the gym and work. Uh, however, once all that was taken away, what was I left with? I wasn't left with anything to pursue professionally. I wasn't left with anything to pursue uh, love life wise. So in my relationships, uh, I wasn't left uh, to be able to pursue anything for my fitness goals. And what I was left with was simply myself. So what that generated was the time to stop, pause, reflect, uh, it broadened my uh, educational horizons through uh, reading uh, and then look inwards uh, to journal and identify what I wanted to be and the person that I wanted to be and what my values were in the past and what I'd like my values to be in the future. And then a number of uh, beliefs about different things in my life that are forever changing. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, and you know, Jordan Peterson talks about it. Carl Jung talks about it. All these amazing philosophers and psychologists talk about the importance of looking inwards. Um, Socrates, Dan Millman, uh, Robin Sharp, and it was just a great opportunity to do that. Uh, and I think uh, if you can, um, I, I would implore uh, as many people as possible to really sit alone with their thoughts. There's nothing as scary as sitting alone with your thoughts, but 90 minutes of your life uninterrupted thinking and feeling uh, could possibly be one of the biggest changes of your life. And anybody can do it because it's free. So, what changes? have you made in your life now? Oh, <clears throat> I feel question. like you dodged the question slightly, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so for example, I, I gave up sex for nine months uh, this year, um, which has been instrumental. Why? In, so that's a good question too, the why. Um, so if you read ancient texts and ancient texts, if you read any of the like famous Stoics, you'll find the same thing that reoccurs. Even Napoleon Hill said it in the early um, 20th century in chapter 11 of Think and Grow Rich. He talked about um, being able to pursue your passions and um, hobbies with the same way you pursue your sexual desires. So if you look at a man, uh, I, I read somewhere that a man will be rejected 100 times before he's able to, um, you know, uh, pursue a woman to the point of uh, sexual intercourse, right? That's from a man's point of view. Perhaps um, some women will be pursuing men, who, but generally the man it's a is generalization. Not, yeah, exactly. It's a generalization. All right. <laughs> um, so a hundred times he fails, perhaps, or he puts himself at risk of failing to get, you know, um, a, a sexual a sexual partner. If you were to do that with any other sector of your life, risk failing a hundred times, keep going forward, keep going forward, keep going forward. Imagine the 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 amount of success that you could have. Uh, so that 
is the reason uh, for sex. I also think that... Um, Hang on a minute. So so you're just saying that you wanted to 100% focus on other things in your life, so you yeah, had to remove yeah, sex. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but so, why did so, you just... Why, why did you have to cut it out completely? Why did you just not... So, so good question Tone it again. Down a little so, bit, so, so, good question again. So, that's okay. No, that's fine. We can talk about other things as well, but but it's one that really like it's impactful for people to think about. Uh, if you think about uh, single males, and, and in my case, uh, how we spend our time, um, one like obviously in the technology age, like there's some good books like Stolen Focus by uh, Jahan Hari is an excellent um, book talking about the amount of time that people spend online. But one of the biggest ways that people spend their times in some sort of like form of avoidance while pursuing sexual interests is on dating apps and crazy things like that, or going on dates or doing stuff like that. Um, But, you know, and while you could say, I'm looking for love, I'm looking for this, but nine times out of 10, if you're spending your time on those apps, you're not really looking for love or looking for, you know, uh, your sexual needs to be met. You're sort of just wasting time, avoiding looking inwards, figuring out what you actually want to do in your life. And when you figure out what you actually want to do in your life and you make that your life's purpose, uh, lo and behold, you, you'll find people that are interested in you because you are interesting as opposed to trying to sell them on some stupid joke that you've Googled whilst holding a fish in a photo. It's <laughs> a very good way of putting it. So so you're not you're not not putting yourself out there for love. You're just not after the that's right. Meaningless con- conquests. Yeah, okay. that's right. So that that's one thing that I could have never have imagined. Um, but but something else uh, that I've done in my life um, since all of this is is been completely. Well, I, my my work ethic has changed um, considerably. I, I've got a number of habits that I now do: cold showers, journaling. I read close to two books a week. Um, I just little things like that at the tactical level, but at the sort of like the strategic level of me as a human. Um, one thing that has instrumentally changed my life is being completely vulnerable and honest in every interaction uh, that I have, which, which is so empowering. It, it's so empowering. How because- is it, okay. That's important to, to know. Why is it, why is that so empowering to you? Yeah. So great question. So uh, in conversation, uh, if we, if we make a decision and, and, and build a habit, you've got to build a habit to continue being honest in everything that we do. Um, it works twofold. Firstly, when you are openly communicating the truth as opposed to trying to lie, uh, it puts all of the uh, onus onto the other person uh, to then do with that information as they will. However, if I'm not being completely honest, I'm not being myself, which means that I'm not setting up the other person in, in this two-way, you know, conversation to make the to make a decision based off of their selves because they don't have all the information so by being completely honest all the time it means that the people around me can make make decisions based off the entire truth now if their decision uh, is one that negatively impacts me that's okay because I've told the entire truth. I can't change my truth or anything like that. Um, however if I was to lie to someone and they want to make a decision based off of that, uh, then you exist in this world that's sort of not really, uh, it's, it's sort of make-believe. A second thing is if you make it a habit to be honest all the time, 
Um, a lot of people regret things left unsaid. Um, Jordan Peterson, again, has got this really good quote. Uh, if you have something to say, then saying nothing is also a lie. Uh, so uh, when you're put into uh, perhaps difficult situations where you really want to say, you know, hey, Fiona, I wish you, I wish you bloody wash the dishes, you know, once in a while or something like that, but you don't because you don't want to create conflict or whatever. Once you say that, and you, if you can say it not emotively, perhaps you'll turn around, Fiona, and you'll say, oh, there's no worries at all. There you are. Like, I, I can easily clean the dishes. I didn't even realize this is a problem. So it's empowering everybody in the relationships that you have in your life if you're, if you're an honest person. Uh, and it also allows you to live life without regret. How, well, there's two, there's two questions that spring to mind in regards to that. Firstly, how do you navigate who to be vulnerable to because not everybody's got the such pure intentions and there are people that you can open yourself up to emotionally that it, it can be you don't want to be hurt you want to protect yourself i'm so a protector dylan i've been so, hurt too many times so so the best way <laughs> to protect yourself is to be completely honest with other people. It sounds like it's upside down and, you know, oh, be careful who you're vulnerable with, et cetera. But <clears throat> let's say you just started a relationship. It could be a friendship or it could be a sexual partner. It could be whatever. And you're not honest with them. How, uh, how are you expecting them to be able to treat you with sincerity when you haven't treated them with sincerity? But by being completely vulnerable and open, it's likely that you'll reduce the timeline that it takes for you to realize that they're not going to treat you with sincerity once they have the whole truth. So if you're not telling the whole truth, then the timeline for the relationship expands to the point where you realize that they're not the right person to be vulnerable with. But if I say, Fiona, I love you, and you go, well, I don't love you, that's the moment I realize that perhaps this person I shouldn't be vulnerable with. But if I want to tell you I love you and it takes two months for me to get there because I really feel that love for you, and you say I love you, I say I love you, and you go, well, I've been seeing someone else. I didn't realize it was that serious because you hadn't said I love you, and you get hurt. Well, you know, you're not setting yourself up for success so I believe that by being vulnerable with as many people in your life as possible, uh, let's say minus, you know, the 7-Eleven worker that you see once ever, um, you are actually setting yourself up to be less hurt in the future. Because if people are acting with kindness and sincerity back to your authenticity, then uh, you know that this is someone that I want to trust. So I actually have a lot of loving um, friendships in my life. I'm very, very blessed. And I put that down to being um, as honest as I can be to them to set them up to be as honest as they are with me. When I see someone not being uh, honest or acting potentially not with uh, the altruistic or selfless characteristics that I like to um, place myself around, then I simply move away from them because I've seen their truth, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a really good, you know, cliche saying, which is love begets love. I think honesty begets honesty as well. If you're an honest person, nine times out of 10, you'll get honesty back. Um, and, and there's another good quote by Fyodor Dostoevsky, which I really believe, which is, man is responsible for all of his own actions and for everyone else's actions as well. So if I'm not being authentic with someone, why do I expect them to be authentic back to me? Let's... But don't you think that there's a level of 
needing to choose who you can. And I mean, I know you said the Seven Eleven worker and stuff, but there there has to be a level of I'm going to choose who I'm going to let into my life to be vulnerable with as well. Yeah, so it depends on the context of the relationship that you're looking to have with this person. If it's a professional context and you don't want to be friends with them, then by all means, go and read Robert Greene, you know, 48 Laws of Power, manipulate the hell out of them so you can get the better dollar price for the product you're trying to hock or you can get the promotion over your peer that you don't care about. Uh, sure, in that context. But in friendships and family uh, or, or sexual relationships that you're looking to have, uh, in these situations, you want them to be vulnerable with you then I think you should be vulnerable with them and in my life I try my hardest to be as exceptionally honest as possible and since I've been doing that I've only been blessed to meet amazing people that are similar to myself all the time and if they're not similar uh, to myself then um, you know through their decision or mine um, we, we drift apart. How do you in a workplace situation when in a management level, you're not always able to disclose the full story of why you're doing things. And it's in corporate, I'm sure it's in military as well, but it's in corporate situations as well. Your comment in terms of not telling the whole, whole truth is akin to, to lying. Yes. So then how do you navigate that in the workplace or how would you recommend others rec- uh, navigate that? Um, so this is a good question. I, I, I would say that off the top of my head, I can't think of a, I can't think of a, a situation where I've lied to a subordinate. Um, but not saying a, lying. I'm just saying omitting information, which you said is akin to lying. So I'm not oh, saying, so, uh, well, I'm not so, saying overtly lying. I'm just yeah, saying. So, so, so if there's top secret information, uh, all you need to say is simply, unfortunately, it's classified. So, so that comes down to sort of security principles, I think, as opposed to an ethics or moral issue. So, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring that into my um, scope. And I'd, be, yeah, uh, uh, unfortunately, I'm really trying to think of a situation. Uh, I will say that a lot of people in the workforce are so funny. So, we all agree that diversity is a good thing for the workforce, but then we've got so many leaders trying to be not bureaucrats. They do become bureaucrats. They're not trying to be trying to be somebody else to fit the mold let's say army officers for example i need to be young oh sorry not young you can't change that um i need to be fit i need to be stern i need to be well disciplined i need to speak with gumption etc etc and they're all trying to be something else but uh, something else other than who they are but if they're honest with themselves if they act with authenticity that's actual diversity yeah and but surprise- if they're not dis- if they're not disciplined the army's gonna bloody kick them out <laughs> oh of course they would of course they would yeah. to a degree to a degree so but if they're acting like themselves people can smell it people can smell inauthenticity because that's yeah. like that's lying so i try my hardest to be myself in every interaction that i have and it's never steered me wrong and you'd be very surprised if we were to do that in our own lives whether it's to our boss to our subordinates to our peers the amount of respect that someone has for someone to just be themselves as opposed to trying to be something that they're not because we spend very little time being that person that we aren't we spend a lot of time being the person that we are yeah, it's the, the BS meter, isn't it? Exactly right. And if you look at anybody successful in the world, whether it's leadership, management, business, finance, you name it, have a look at what they do. They be their bloody selves. It's what makes them stand out. It's the reason why we've got all these influential people that, you know, have rocketed above. Like Joe, Joe Rogan, for example, the reason that everybody likes him is because he's so painstakingly himself. 
He could yeah, be someone else if he tried. Like, yeah. And it doesn't matter. And that's why what he, won't exactly he won't get cancelled. Exactly. He can't get cancelled because he's get canceled. so honest. Because yeah. he's just himself. Yeah. Exactly right. He's not trying to skirt. He's not trying to bend to other people's opinions or beliefs. He's just saying what he thinks. And Joe Rogan's a bad, a bad top, uh, a bad case study because unfortunately sometimes he is controversial. And, and I'm not even the biggest fan. But that's that's his purple cow, as Seth Godin would say. That's what sets him apart. So talk to me. I mean, you you mentioned a couple of uh, a while ago that the books were your sort of constant when you were in hospital. <clears throat> dealing with this 14 months of of um wound management yeah. and surgeries where did the idea of spawning the brothers and books thing i'm sorry my cat is cleaning himself on the bed i'm like no, hoping that's that the, okay no 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 <laughs> I, I can't that the I, microphone won't pick it up i i can't see it but now i'm imagining it and it's worse <laughs> than what it would actually look like no, he's just licking his side, but he's noisy. <laughs> but that's not what I'm envisioning at all. <laughs> You're thinking leg up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so the reading. So for three months, the first probably three surgeries, uh, you know, after surgery one, Dylan, you'll be better in a week. A week later, I have an emergency surgery. Dylan, you'll be better in two weeks. Two weeks go by, I have an emergency surgery on Christmas Eve. And at that point, you know, I would, I've stuffed up the timelines if you do the maths. But after about three months of lying in bed, uh, I just had an emergency surgery on Christmas Eve. Uh, I'm in, I'm in my house in Townsville by myself every day for those three months. You know, pretty down in the dumps. Uh, and, you know, when when people are faced with isolation and they're trying to, well, any any hardship, and they're trying to fight it as opposed to just accept the situation focus on what they can do um, forget about what they can't affect etc it does lead to depression of course it does because it because it's affecting them and they can't do anything about it so it repeats in their head uh, and and they become emotional um perhaps suicidal in my case suicidal absolutely my life sucked really? at the time absolutely wow. Absol- of course okay. yeah it's, it sucked it sucked and and i just wasn't prepared for it and finding purpose outside of the things that brought me purpose leads to you know a, a, a life crisis um and so one day uh i i had a book arrive at my door it was so yes in spite of everything by by victor frankel <clears throat> and uh when i was reading this book I, I i i kept having to you know close the book and be like wow like that is that is spot on um what what this man is saying and victor frankl was a survivor of the holocaust uh his first book man's search for meanings obviously a bestseller uh half of it is his experiences in the camp uh, as a psychologist as well uh, the second half of the book talks about uh, logos therapy or meaning therapy, which is um, pursuing meaning to uh, quell whatever sorrows that you're facing mentally. Uh, but his second book is a collection of uh, lectures that he gave to people who were at high risk at suicide. And that's called Yes, uh, Say Yes in Spite of Everything. And that's the first book that I read. Uh, and it really, uh, when I put it down, I was like, wow, like I really got outside of my head. So you've got that escapism. Uh, there was the mindfulness because as I was reading, I was reflecting on my own life. Um, there was the perspective change. I'd gone, wow, like no one's having a harder time as me. You know, my 
butt's bleeding every day. I can't really go to the toilet. I can't shower. I can't leave my house. Um, but I read this book and I'm like, these guys are having a worse time than, than me. So I've got that perspective change. And then, um, like I said, that, that mindfulness uh, came into it and I started to reassess my situation. And I said, uh, and I'd learned a, a ton of stuff as well. Um, so I was like, well, that was pretty bloody good. And for those few hours where I read this book, uh, I didn't really feel like buddy offing myself and I didn't really feel depressed. So I read another book and another book and then I made it my job to read books. So for the next year, I'd wake up early and I'd read until I go to the hospital and I'd come home from the hospital and I'd read uh, until midnight. And then I'd wake up early and I'd read books and then I'd go to the hospital, then I'd read. And once I started to gain this perspective, new perspective, mindfulness uh, from reading, uh, every time I had a surgery after that, uh, it was totally fine because I was completely okay with uh, the fact that I may not, um, you know, may not ever be better. Why reading physical books and not audio books? So um, you can listen to audible book. You can listen to audio books. Um, I'm all for it. Any way to consume long form information uh, or digest uh, long form information like podcasting. I am all for. (laughs) However, what I will say is audible is really good for traveling and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, Physical books is really good. Meditation is quite hard. Uh, to get into to practice there's a lot of like uh people out there that have been doing yoga for a long time it's expensive too perhaps if you're not doing it in a park um to get into and actually feel the effects what reading allows our brains to do is actually switch off to the world solely focus on one thing uh human beings attention spans have dropped from 18 seconds to nine seconds in the last two decades um due to a number of uh reasons but essentially that sort of means that we've all got adhd now so what physical books allow us to do is focus focus on one thing for a large period of time and actually reflect on the words being said uh, and the new information combined with our own experiences combined with a setting where we're actually deeply in thought or in a flow state allows for creativity in the brain to occur if we're driving we could be distracted if we're listening to audio books etc etc and then reading seems to be the pace that you know for generations uh, perhaps genetically uh, we have been doing that there's a the Bibles, you know, last last longer than generations, civilizations, etc., etc., etc. So, so human beings have been reading. So, perhaps genetically, um, the the speed in which we read books and the way in which we read books with our brain um, actually allows the brain to process the information better, be more innovative, gain more perspective, feel more mindfulness, and actually relax for a change instead of going, 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 going. How did the charity come about? Well, the charity came about because, you know, for 14 months, I, I saw soldiers every day in these hospitals, you know, going through, going through rubbish, you know, um, there's, there's a lot of talk um, about, uh, I shouldn't say the word, uh, but death, death by suicide uh, in the media in the veteran space. And the reason that it's spoken about in the veteran space and the reason that I say I shouldn't say the word is because um, talking about the word is actually illegal in, in mainstream media and journalism. And that's because if you talk about it, just it, the rates of it go up because uh, as you oh, know, really? our thoughts become our reality. If we're thinking about it, if we're talking about it, then it's going up. So, so I've got um, 
you know, individual issues with awareness um, platforms and stuff like that, that haven't read those studies because it seems very bizarre to me that media is held to that same standard whilst there's people out there talking about the word awareness all of the time. It actually leads to more increased um, deaths by, by that method. Um, and so where I was going with this is, is a large number of the people that have, have done this in the past aren't combat veterans, aren't, aren't suffering from PTSD, from conflict. Um, they're, they're just young men and women in the defense force, also in society. I think the rate of, um, what we spoke about went up by 4.5% in 2021, despite more money ever being placed into awareness programs, which, well, you know, we had lockdowns, didn't we? Yeah. Lockdowns as well. Not cause and effect, but you know, the awareness is there, but it's still skyrocketing um, higher than ever. Um, and so one thing that can help all of us when we're alone um, is, is, Oh, well, bibliotherapy, changing perspective. Um, a lot of people think that uh, the only form of therapy that they can get to deal with their depression, um, their PTSD, their anxiety or anything like that is seeing a physical psychologist. Uh, but why not read the best psychologist in the world's book and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them and their words in their book with your mind uh, for $20 as opposed to spending $350? Well, I think, Dylan, the important thing is if people are... And I think it is important to state that if people are feeling low or that they are having mental health issues, they should seek professional advice a and absolutely. not use the books as as a only method. No, so so I completely agree. However, yeah. unfortunately, with um, wait times for psychologists with um, you know mental health issues being uh, through the roof in the twenty first century, the wait time there's only so many psychologists. Um, so absolutely, go seek professional help. Um, you know, use a number of the different things that are that are spoken about all the time um, to to get help with whatever that you were going through. But if you have to wait multiple weeks to see a psychologist, um, then a good way um, to to you know, utilize your, your time, in, but not even distract your brain to get the information that a psychologist will probably get from reading books anyway, is to read books and it's far cheaper. And, and they are professionals that have written these books. You can read the best psychologist in the world's books for $20. But still seek medical. <laughs> Absolutely. And <seek> medical. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, there's a number of books that I'd recommend for anybody experiencing any sort of mental health issues for PTSD. Um, the Body Keeps the Score uh, by Russell um, Van der Kolk uh, is the leading expert on on the study so if you're if you're waiting around to see your therapy or if you want to uh of your your psychologist and or if you want to take your therapy to another level because you're very keen to get better as everybody is um, that suffers mental health issues like that um then then that's a really great book to read uh if you suffer with anxiety or depression there's a really great book by uh dr nicole lapera called uh how to do the work uh which offers many tactical level uh tips and tricks that many psychologists will recommend uh, and mindfulness meditation and journaling is something that every good psychologist should recommend as something all these books will recommend as well so a long story short 
There's so many people out there suffering from physical hardships. Um, they don't need to have gone from war. We, we lose so many young men and women in our defense force through injury. Um, so I really wanted to do some prehabilitation and get people into the habit of reading books uh, early and doing bibliotherapy early so that when physical illness, which ails us all as we go through life, if we build that habit now, we have something to turn to and purpose and meaning once we are, um, you know, restricted by our physical bodies and we can escape into the mind so we don't feel uh, so hamstrung by the loss of purpose that um, being physically active, working professionally um, brings with it. So you set the charity up, you've donated 6,000 books, 140,000 raised. Yeah. Where, where is that money going in regards to the raising? Because you've obviously not just gone, hey, everyone should read a book. You've actually taken it to the next level. You've registered <laughs> no, a charity. That's, that's what I go. Everybody should read a book. So, so the mission, <laughs> so the mission of the charity uh, is to change the culture of education in Australia. We want to make reading cool. Um, so we get all these uh, amazing people that young people would look up to, to talk about the effect that reading has had on their life. Uh, if you look at the background of any expert on TV, you'll notice one thing in common. It's behind me now. If you read any uh, biography from any of the most successful people in the world, you'll notice another thing in common is they've read a metric ton of books as young people uh, or as older people like Jeff Bezos, etc. Um, so we want to change the culture around education when I went to school perhaps when you went to school as well you know reading was uncool you know reading was uncool I, I think it still is Australia's got this really weird complex when it comes to things like that but that's the current culture so we want to change that we want to make reading cool the vision for the page is to set up a community library in every single suburb of Australia I very much think that we will do that wow. uh, and then the other thing that we do uh, is we publish books, we run fundraisers, and we recommend book recommendations based off of people's adversity that they've gone through, a book that has helped them and their advice in the future. So uh, it's a really great community and it's one that's solely been positive for the last two years. The way that we fundraise so much money, we run a thing called the World's Coolest Readathon, if you'd believe that. Uh, and last year it was in a number of countries, probably six countries all up, had over 500 participants, and we read five books in 50. 50 days uh, as a challenge um, to promote reading and education. Uh, and it's always brilliant to see. So yeah, so we've raised over $140,000 in the last uh, two years for, um, for veteran charities, uh, other, other charities. We'll have to add a few books to that one recommendations dylan i've had a few great authors on the podcast so i could yeah always, amazing uh, yeah, yeah 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 definitely send it there i'd love to i'd love to share the reviews and i'd love to read your story as well well, not my story. I... No, I want to read your story. You've got to tell me how the book impacted you. Oh, okay. I understand now. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, maybe you should just listen to the podcast episodes when I speak to the to the author. Yeah, I will. I will actually. Um. So where are you? So how are you going to facilitate that? So a book library in every suburb. How is yeah. that different though to a normal library? Yeah, so the community library, so so when I was in hospitals, um, you know, it was really great. Um, sometimes there was um, shelving with books, but what had happened was a lot of the times they were just the books that everybody would throw away. Uh, they're like, oh, we'll just give it to the hospital. And unfortunately, uh, you know, celibacy or not, Mills and Boone's uh, sort of books and those <laughs> um, those steamy romances aren't really up my alley. So oh, I had to, uh, no, they aren't, they aren't. So I had to give them a mess. 
Uh, and so our community. How many might... of them did you actually read though? Before no, zero, you... zero, Come zero, on, zero. But I got you know, uh, got zero, a zero, zero, zero. There, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, so so the way our community libraries are different. If you recommend a book to the page that has really helped you, then that goes on our list, uh, and then we source that book to place into the community library. So we try and have um, the members of the book club that have recommended books. The books that they recommend we source and then put in a community library. So perhaps it can also affect someone else's life the way it had affected theirs. Wow. That's really good. So where is what's what's next now? You've got this huge goal. You've got your Oh, it's your not even a big goal. Oh, shut up. And then you've got, okay, I'm number two in the military able to speak out. Everyone's getting sick of signing off the paperwork. You're <laughs> reassessing everything. You're, you're extremely philosophical for a young man, Dylan. It's like, what's next for Dylan? Uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, so that we've got a number of different operations that we're going to do this year. Um, we're going to try and run 10 different book fairs around Australia. When, which will be- so when you're saying operations, you're not saying operations on you personally. You're talking about no, hospital no operations. No, no more operations. Oh, touch wood. <laughs> do you know something I don't? Have you been talking no, to my surgeon? No, you've got to don't change talk to my body. surgeon. He's <laughs> seen my butt. you were, doesn't <laughs> um, uh, So, so... Yes, I'm really excited. Uh, As far as the charity is concerned, this year we're going to try and do a number of things. We're going to hold three events uh, where we bring together um, these authors um, with more lead time than I give the guys that spoke at that event the other day (laughs) next time. Um, And we're going to try and run 10 book fairs around Australia. So we've ran a number of book fairs in the past um, with like 4,000 people. Um, So that was really great. And we'd like to run more of them. We'll run a couple more fundraisers. We'll publish some some more books and we'll continue to change the culture of education in Australia while setting up these community libraries around Australia uh, and a number of different things. Uh, As for myself, I think I am simply a conduit of what now is obviously my passion. And we spoke about the the vision and the community libraries right around Australia uh, and how to actually achieve that. Well, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And there's a number of different ways to block down these obstacles. I would hazard a guess that one of the key execution strategies to achieve that will be to read some great marketing books, read some good business strategy (laughs) books, uh, and then write a metric shit ton of ideas, beliefs, and different methods to achieve that within a certain timeframe. But what makes it very easy to come up with the execution strategy is knowing what the goal clearly is because an archer without a target always misses, but one with a target, uh, it's pretty easy to bloody aim and shoot or point and shoot, I should say. You're an extremely driven individual. How do you find people that match your level of drive? Or, are you, or does it not matter because you're so self-driven? Um, yeah, so something that um, I've, I've, I've tried to implement, it probably comes into the, the things that I implement now. So there's a few things that I don't do anymore. I, I don't speak negatively about anybody else um, at, at all, not even mm. behind, like not behind their back, not to their, or to their face perhaps because they're going to say the truth. Um, I, I don't really have um, thoughts about other people. I don't have ideas, beliefs or thoughts about anybody else and what they're doing. Um, and, and that's actually really set me up for success. And I'm, and I'm cognizant. So hang as well. on a minute. Hang on. Does, I'm sorry. I need to interrupt you on that. What do you mean you don't have any other thoughts about what anybody else is doing? You don't, I mean, you don't dwell on it or you don't, it doesn't even enter your psyche. 
yeah about what so other if are doing. yeah so if, if you build the habit if you build the habit, if you're consciously aware of the thoughts that you have, um, then you can start to question as to why you're having the thoughts. And now the brain, the brain, you can't control the thoughts that you have, but um, mm. you, you do not dwell on it at all. And once you're aware of any negative thoughts about something else, it's easy to quiet it and, and become aware of the thought to realize that that is not you and that it's not a habit that you want to have. And, and that's taken me, that's taken me a long time that has taken me a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, but it's super freeing. The, the, the third thing that I do, and this was a very interesting one, giving advice. <laughs> and I've done it all through the podcast, but it's the context of the podcast. I've tried to speak from my own, my own perception of reality, but I have started probably within the last three months, I've stopped giving advice. Oh God, because... Dylan! You've just you've just squashed my whole reason for existence. I uh, love no, no, advice. no, 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 no! I'm not no, <laughs> no, 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 no expectations of yourself. But uh, and and podcast, podcast is for a purpose. Your higher purpose. Oh, I don't, I don't give, I don't give advice on the podcast. I listen on the podcast, but it's more because oh. my friends come out. You know, yeah, do yeah. what I say, oh, not what oh, I do. Okay, well, do you, do you want to hear this? Do you want to hear what I have <laughs> yeah, to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, come so, on, complete so, honesty. Oh, so, um, something that I noticed was. People are just at giving me advice all the time. And that sounds, well, that's great. That's positive. Wow, that's so positive. You're so lucky to have so many mentors. But the thing about, you know, we spoke about vulnerability and choosing who you're vulnerable with. Uh, choose who you listen to advice from because everybody mm. is willing to give you advice, uh, which made me start to question, why do I give advice? And, you know, it, a lot of people will say, I'm really great at giving advice. I'm not very good at taking it. And I come to my own conclusion. This is written in my beliefs journal and they change all the time. So perhaps, uh, you know, I'll do this for another three months and I'll be incorrect and I'll have a, you know, I'll read a different book that tells me something different and I change my beliefs. Uh, but I assessed why I'm giving advice to people and uh, perhaps it's just projections of things that I know that I should be implementing in my own life or perhaps it is the ego wanting to tell someone else how to live their life. The last thing that I thought about this when I was, you know, really doing some deep thinking is when the hell have we ever listened to anybody's advice and taken it? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So, so often people are filling their time. Oh, I'm, I was filling my time with either giving advice, receiving advice, but they're not actually implementing the knowledge into wisdom, right? In my tactical actions or habits. Uh, and so often as well, I think that in my life, uh, when I was received advice, I, you know, I, I disagree with it a lot of the time, but something that builds self-efficacy, confidence, uh, and your own knowledge and wisdom is taking your own advice and thinking about what you tell yourself, how you want to implement and, and not seeking it from others. Because often in my life, that was me avoiding doing the work. Mm, that's interesting. Do you think though that people give advice and don't actually listen to the person. Like most people that come to you, like most people that want to that come to you for advice actually just want to be heard. Yeah. So they don't necessarily want you to solve it. Yeah. So that that's true. And, and, and you be a good friend to people and listen. Absolutely. But why are you giving them advice if they just want you to listen? Cause they ask me, Dylan, yeah, oh, but, but, but do we not agree that 
most of the time they just want you to listen. Yeah, no, they do. Yeah, no, I agree yeah. with that. I and love to talk. And the other thing, uh, and, and I agree with you, and I'm going to do that as well. So I'm going to look, Dylan, I really, really need your advice. But if I assess their question that's seeking the advice to be something that they can solve themselves, you know, through their previous experience, which everybody is capable, obviously, of doing, especially with God at our fingertips, the old Google, um, then what are, why are they really seeking the advice? Mm. So want to be they, heard. they just want to be heard so yeah. listen to them don't get it. Oh, i'm not telling you what to do right now but in my mind <laughs> i don't want to give them advice anymore i just want to listen to them and love them and remind them that you know i am there for them regardless of their trials and tribulations david goggins new book did a really good one he uh mm, he tells this story he tells it yeah and that's okay it's okay and and I, i'm not bloody running every day either you know i've got a lot of things that i disagree with david goggins on but for this particular case study and sorry that it's goggins let's say it was someone else uh let's say it could be goggins uh uh, eckhart toll or oprah winfrey it was oprah winfrey's story no 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 so what he did was he (gasps) had this very stereotypical dylan oh my goodness i I said eckhart toll first oh okay yeah two two very lovable people (laughs) male and female and perhaps one us who knows um so david goggins uh, and you didn't like Goggins as well, so I made some assumptions. Um, <laughs> no, I no, it's just no. It's the rah rah rahing. I'm not, I know. I'm not he's up constant, for the rah hey, rah. He's got something going on up in this head, but he did. He tells this great story, right? And he goes, "Oh, I got this friend. He's always complaining. He's always seeking advice. He's always, you know, unfortunately negative. When he's coming around to my house, I feel negative in advance before he even gets there, uh, and it's and it's really distracting, and it brings me down, and it's a lot. We give ourselves to others when we put ourselves in a position." to feel their feelings right the universe we're all connected and so what david goggins did was he he secretly recorded this man as he was whinging right well whinging seeking advice complaining negative emotion but seeking david goggins advice and david goggins waited for him to be finished listened to him intently and there's like all right man are you finished he's like yep yep he goes all right i'm gonna play you something on our surround sound here that's what you sound like what would you tell yourself and the guy's like, holy, that's what I sound mm. like. And, and the minute that the conscious awareness comes to that negative thinking, our own stories, the advice that we're seeking, um, we, we can figure it out on our own. A lot of the time people are speaking about other, other people or interactions that they've had and they're just thinking a third party to agree with what they've done in that moment. They're not actually seeking advice. Well, that's they're, true. That's it's actually true. true. It's true as. So they're seeking third party um, agreement. Validation. Validation is the word I'm looking for. That, that's all they're doing. Uh, and, and you can hear it. Once you're aware of it, it is constant. And, and that's 90% of bloody conversations. So I said that to him. What do you think about that? Oh, you go, girl. You bloody said that. Well, great. Now I'm validated in my actions when I should have strong enough beliefs, values, and opinions uh, and self-efficacy to be confident in my own wisdom and my own actions without bringing a third party who wasn't privy to the context, who can't ever be understanding of the context as well as what I am in the moment that I lived through, not them, myself, based off my experiences, beliefs, ideas, perceptions, and the knowledge that I have consumed over the last X amount of years, I am confident that I made the right decision without needing to seek someone else's validation. Now that's wisdom. And well, that is also, empowering as. It is. And it's also self, self-worth self and self-esteem um, that comes into that as well. Yeah. How do you, 
I, I, I have a feeling I'm going to know the answer to this. Two answers to this from you, but we'll see what you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. How do you th- how do you think that people can get there if they don't have that level of self conviction? How do you recommend give advice? <laughs> how <laughs> how would you like? What would you recommend that people do to sort of get that that level of conviction? Because a lot of you correct ninety percent of the conversations are. Go, do go like that um in my own life it took <laughs> it took in my own life it took i love it how you swung it so you're not giving advice that's right so yeah. what what it took in my own life was me to be doing life on autopilot perhaps which i'm still privy to now in different temporal amounts of time mm-hmm. um autopilot be hit with a large degree of adversity so I'd recommend going out and getting hit by some adversity, which is great. Uh, and then it took a reassessment period where because of the adversity that I was now facing, whether it's mental health or physical debilitation uh, or, or adversity relationship breakdown, which is mental, I guess, um, to reassess what I was doing and how I was acting to be able to future-proof myself, to not be affected by external uh, yeah, extrinsic factors um, so that in the future, I don't need any external person or thing to aid me to exist and live peacefully and with happiness. So adversity. And I would say knowledge. Yeah, knowledge dispels, knowledge dispels fear. If you have confidence issues, read on confidence and how to gain it and build that self-efficacy if you have public speaking issues read on public speaking issues um the world's so old and nothing that we are facing um there's there's always someone else that's faced it before and it's written a book uh and they're normally the world leaders so why not learn from the world leaders and then practice it build a habit write down your beliefs know what your vision is and then start to act on the things that make you happy and avoid the things that make you upset once you clearly articulate them in your mind and on paper okay i wasn't expecting you to say adversity how do you think people can come to that realization and that self inner self-confidence in regards to their opinions and actions without having the adversity? Um, I would say, I I would say read The Power of Now and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle uh, and then read stoic philosophy uh, and popular authors like Ryan Holiday, which make it easier to suggest uh, old philosophers' words, uh, and then do everything in your power to live in the moment and lose your ego. Wow. Yeah. I think that's a really excellent way to finish off the podcast. (laughs) How can people donate and get involved in the Brothers and Books charity? Yeah, so if you want to, so I never ask for donations because I wanted people to see um, the philanthropy. 
I, I will ask for donations on your behalf. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't saying it emotionally, but I think it's important that what we do is achieve the mission. So if you want to make reading cool, just check us out on Instagram or Facebook. If you love reading, tell us a story about one of your favorite books. Um, the You sharing your story about a book that's helped you in your life is the thing that helps uh, the charity the most because that is the mission to help people through um, the life-changing uh, experience of reading books. And if you can, can convince one person in your life to read a book that helped you you'll set them up for success uh we can still remember books that we read when we were in high school uh, we can hardly remember what we ate for breakfast so perhaps reading books will be one of the most important life-changing things uh, that you can do so you can find us just on the normal instagram platform i'll link everything in the show notes um below in the episode cheers dylan lovely chatting That's to you amazing no thank you so much for having me hey and i'm sure i will run into you in the future no oh, doubt definitely 100 <laughs> percent. thanks for taking a moment to listen everyone we hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us if you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration then please share this podcast with them also don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them Thank you.